Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot happening on the show as we prepare for the weekend. Don Rose of U.S. Commodities will be joining us here. We're going to talk about the back and forth that's developing in the soybean market. And then in segment two, we're going to get an update from KittleCon, KibbleCon, rather, down there in Manhattan, Kansas. National Corn Growers are on the scene introducing U.S. corn to those pet food manufacturers. We'll get an update on that in segment number two. And then John Holzman will join us. He is geopolitical strategist from Milan, Italy. He's been tracking the changes over in China as their 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress has moved on. He'll bring us some updates as to how the changes over there could impact trade with that country as we go into 2023. Lots happening, lots going on in the markets. We've seen some back and forth. Joining us with an update on what is going on in the markets is Don Rose of U.S. Commodities. And Don, we saw soybeans up big yesterday, down in the overnight. What's going on in the soybean market? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Well, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. The market is uh, watching some of these uh, outside influence. And, you know, even today, we were uh, down sharply on soybeans, down about 15 cents. We had the equities under pressure. The dollar was firmer. And, uh, you know, it was a risk-off type of trade. Then all of a sudden, the equities uh, rally, you know, up 400 points on the Dow Jones. The uh, dollar goes lower. And consequently, we find some uh, end-user buying. We see some fun buying. So it's a market, uh, Mike, that we're caught on the nearby month between $13, dollars $14 on beans. We haven't been able to break out of it. Corn, we're caught in really $6.70 and $7 cap there. And on rallies, the market uh, we talk up is slow. On breaks, the end user buys it. And uh, all eyes are starting to focus on South America, Mike. They are. Don, that South American question continues to grow. I'm seeing reports of that Brazilian crop growing, the Argentinian crop shrinking. What's your take right now on South America? Well, I tell you right now, jump ball. Um, where we're really at is uh, Argentina's dry drought. Uh, we're about two thirds of Argentina is dry. They're planting their first corn crop right now. Um, about 17% planted. Usually they're 33% planted, so it's dry there. Plant until um, the basically the first uh, of December on that first corn crop. Um, North and central Brazil, you know, fine, just near ideal as you get closer to Argentina, southern Brazil, dry. But here's the big question mark, and I think this is what it's going to be all about as we go forward. Do we get back-to-back droughts in South America or not? Um, Currently projecting the soybean crop alone, Mike, in Brazil to be up 950 million bushels versus a year ago. The five countries, uh, Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, Europe, um, and uh, expected to be up 1.5 billion bushels versus a year ago. So if we get a, a ideal weather, growing conditions, you know, you've got a monstrous competition. If we don't, if we get into uh, back-to-back droughts, you know, all bets are off and we see some strength in the market. So it's all down to, Mike, on the La Nina. Um, it's been strong. This is a, uh, for a number of years. Is it going to start to uh, die here as we hit the middle to the end of November? We do have, uh, you know, at least one meteorologist is telling us that's the case. Um, the odds are by others that is not going to change. So um, there you have it in the grain market. Like we always come down to what the weather is, and it's going to be weather again, Mike. So that's the way we see it right now in South America. Indeed, Donald Weather, always a massive question mark. I'm wondering there, with that one-plus billion bushel potential gain in South America, is there any room to the upside on those yield estimates, or are we just going to see it come down with weather challenges in South America? Well, I think it, you know, uh, actually uh, Brazil's uh, soybean crop is, uh, from a yield standpoint, expected to be larger than ours are on a normal year. So, you know, they're very, very much competitive. But, you know, what's going to happen, Mike, if it looks like South America is going to get a crop, 
um, and they'll start the harvest in the north in Brazil the middle of uh, January, and then that'll continue all the way to May as we go through south. But um, if they get uh, a large crop, and maybe even before that, our export pace is just going to plain die. Um, you know, so we've got a little window here um, till about, I would say, the 1st of December, middle of December, and then it starts to die. And the big elephant in the room is China. They're really our big customer. For example, in soybeans last week, we sold 86 million uh, bushels of soybeans, uh, you know, a good number versus 27 million the last week. But China bought 66 million out of the 86 million. So, you know, when you have one big customer and China continues to cozy up, getting closer to uh, Brazil, you know, with infrastructure, all of these things, they're really trying to move away from the U.S. as much as they can, as close to Brazil as they can. Um, and right now, currently, Mike, we're just not competitive. If you get into January on beans, uh Brazil's about 90 cents cheaper. Uh, currently today, from an export standpoint, we've all heard about the Gulf and how uh, the waterways are you know, such a problem from transportation. U.S. Gulf versus South America today is about $1.50 uncompetitive. Uh, we're higher than uh, Brazil or South America at the export front, about $2.50 uh, out of competition at the Gulf versus the EU. Um, you know, so that is the big issue with uh, end users, Mike, is the other side of the story. On breaks, they continue to scramble. We think uh, the southern plains um, here back to the U.S., uh, the western corn belt is going to be short. Somewhere in around 800 to 850 million bushels of feed. So you're going to have this sucking sound from that area to the east. How far east does it go? Um, so, you know, I think that's the dynamic. The export market's slow. Domestic market really strong in those uh, short areas. And then we're watching South America. And you say, why are we just chopping around here? We've hit kind of a fair market value um, with the government telling us all of next year, of course, all these things have to fall right, we're going to average 6.80 on cash corn, we're going to average $14 on soybeans, and we got an economy in the world that's kind of shaky with the equity markets under and uh, interest rates on the rise, Mike. Yeah, a lot of challenges ahead. Hopefully those uh, imp those commodity prices are going to be enough to cover these high inputs. Don, are there any concerns you've gotten this next week as you look out that growers need to be aware of immediately? Well, I think immediately, I think we're going to watch South America weather. We've got forecast of rain right now in some of the dry areas of Argentina. Does that happen or not? Um, that's, I think, partly what put us to the downside on uh, soybeans down 16 cents early. I think also watch these equity markets and uh, these outside markets, the dollar. That's gonna, that continues to push and pull us all the way along. So those are the main things, Mike. All right, folks, continue to keep an eye on those macro factors here in agriculture. We've been speaking with Don Rose of U.S. Commodities. And, Don, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, you have a great week. You bet. And, folks, stick around. When we come back, we're going to be talking corn in the pet food industry. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. 
Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. You know, that 22 harvest rolls on and corn growers across this country are working to bring in that crop. And our friends at NCGA are working to make sure that crop has ample homes in markets here, both domestically and around the world. We're going to check in on both of those issues right now. Joining us for this segment is farmer Chad Epler. He's here today. He serves on the Market Action Team Farms. And Chad, I understand you might be in a combine this morning. How are things looking? Well, I don't think we've got Chad quite on the line yet, but we'll be getting him here in just a second. In the meantime, we do have Sarah McKay from the National Corn Growers Association on the line. Sarah, you were down in Manhattan, Kansas this week for a pretty interesting event. Tell us, what were you doing? Good morning. Yes, the Market Development Action Team um, has sponsored for quite a while now a lot of efforts in the pet food industry, talking about the use of corn not only in pet um foods and pet diets, but also in pet packaging and, and pet products. So it's really um, was an interesting opportunity. We've we've sponsored similar events and every year we, every year we go to the Pet Food Forum. But this year um, we were a sponsor of the, the KibbleCon event in Manhattan, Kansas, which brought together researchers and <clears throat> academics from across the, the industry to talk about uh, pet food. And, and we were there to talk about corn and pet food. And what a home it is. Sarah, corn is no stranger to the pet food industry. How much does that group or does that industry currently use? Yeah, so if you look at the back of a, a pet food um, bag or whether it's uh, dog food or, or cat food, you'll notice that there's usually corn, corn gluten meal, which is soon to be called corn protein meal, um, or dried distillers grains and other corn byproducts as well in the in the pet food diet. So um, corn is actually the dominant plant-based carbohydrate um, used in, in the pet food industry using about 1.2 um, billion tons of corn in the, in the pet food diet. And then corn gluten meal um, is the dominant plant-based protein ingredient using um, just shy of 500,000 tons um, on an annual basis. That's fantastic. It's so great to find these uses for this massive American crop. And I'm curious, Chad Epler on the line now. Chad, how is that crop coming? Are you in a combine today? Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, 
be on a combine um, here shortly. We got everything ready this morning, but we are actually uh, cutting soybeans now. Uh, corn crop is done. Uh, wasn't a very good crop, but you know what? It's really hard when Mother Nature decides to uh, not cooperate. So you do the very best you can, and, and uh, that's just kind of where we were at this year. That's the thing. A farmer can only do so much on the production side if Mother Nature is not going to cooperate. But, Chad, farmers can also work on that market development side. And I know you serve on the market action team there at NCGA. Why are you a member of that committee? Certainly thought that I always thought that this was for somebody else. And um, I served as, as a teacher in organizations and, and continued to serve in the community. But this was a whole other thing. And when I was asked to be a part of uh, KCGA here in Kansas, uh, I was reluctant. But you know what? Somebody needs to step up. And I thought, why not me? And uh, so I've got involved with uh, NCGA through my um, Kansas Corn Board Association. Uh, just want, want to be a part of the solution. And we need people standing up for agriculture and for farmers. And if we don't do it, I'm not sure who's going to. That's a great point, Chad. And as you say, you've been in a combine this past week. There's no way for you to get out, get to Manhattan, Kansas, talk about the benefit of corn in pet rations. But NCGA has those people. Sarah McKay is one of them. And Sarah, let's talk a little bit about the conversations you had with the, the attendees there in Kansas. What's the perception of corn in the pet food industry? Yeah, thanks so much. You know, a lot of the work that we've been doing, we've been trying to really debunk a lot of those myths around corn and pet food. You know, corn has been used in pet food diets for for decades, if not, you know, centuries, and has been, um, you know, we, we try to displace a lot of these misconceptions that corn is bad for, for pets. And, you know, it's a four-letter word, as they say, in the pet food industry. So we've been working really hard to talk about um, the, the value of, of the protein content of corn, the value in the diet for, for an energy source. Uh, we talk about the antioxidant profile and also the positive impacts it can have on gut health. And that's just in the pet food diet. And um, we also talk about some of these high protein DDG products that can come out of um, the ethanol space and, and um, not only in the pet food, but beyond the bowl applications. We spend a lot of time talking too about how corn can be a plant-based solution for sustainable packaging options. You know, right now, a lot of our um, packaging is 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 petroleum based, and there's a, a huge opportunity for for the pet food packages to be made from um, plant based and sustainable sources such as corn. Absolutely. And that plant based packaging uh, area, Sarah, is so fascinating to see what sort of developments are you tracking there on the market action team that could lead to additional usage for corn in packaging? Yeah, so we look at a lot of different opportunities, whether it's replacing the polyethylene, which is the outside, you'll, you'll notice kind of that shiny plastic when you pick up your, your dog food bag. Um, but we talk about not only making um, that packaging from a plant-based source and sustainable um, packaging options from corn, but also making it um, an improved product. So um, a lot of these uh, polymers that are being developed that could be used in this renewable packaging, they're actually being shown to have better <clears throat> CO2 and oxygen barriers um, that really will help keep that food fresher. Interesting. So it's not just a perception or a sustainability claim to consumers. There are legitimate scientific advantages and benefits to using corn and bio-based packaging. Absolutely. And so that's where we really try to focus on the performance advantage side of these products. And, you know, it's it helps keep moisture um, in or out in some cases and also really helps lead to a better product overall with a better um, end of life story as well. So we really try to focus when we're at these events, not just the quality and um, the value of corn in the pet food diet, but like I said, those beyond the bowl applications and pet products, everything from pickup bags that can be made from cornstarch. That's usually a, a, a giveaway that we give as well as these options for for, for corn-based packaging. It's fantastic to see this kind of outreach happening inside industries that are that are out of agriculture and that can always learn something new about what we're developing. Chad, I'm curious, a lot of these conversations we have building new markets, they, they take time and you don't see those results immediately. I'm wondering, in your operation, have there been places where you've seen work done by market development experts that have returned to benefit to your operation? Well, one of the things that, that we try to do is, uh, you know, we're always looking for that, that market um, for not only our crop, but for the, you know, the regional crop. And, and certainly going right back to pet food, um, I want to touch, you know, just a second. 
you know, bottom line, people care about their pets. They care about their digestive system, hair quality, healthy weight, um, and they're less likely to have allergies. I'm a pet owner. All of my family owns pets, and because of corn, that can add that that rich flavor, uh, tastes better, they're more, more palatable, uh, gluten-free, you know, and what we're producing out here in the cornfield will enable us to go out and purchase, you know, products, pet food products made out of corn. And um, the bottom line, people people care about their pets and they want what is best for their pets, and I'm no exception to that. Well, and, and me either. I've got my pups sitting at my feet right now here while we're on the air because they do. They are a part of the family in a lot of different ways. And Sarah, I'm curious, those conversations at changing the tone around corn, do you feel like it's going in the right direction? That usage is poised to grow? I do. You know, I think there's a lot of um, one of the most recent things that we worked on with AFCO, which is um, the Association of Feed Control Officers, and they work in conjunction with FDA, is to um, have an alternative name to corn gluten meal be corn protein meal. There's this misconception that corn has gluten in it because of the the name corn gluten meal. Um, and so we've worked really hard to really emphasize that that protein content because we had done some marketing studies in conjunction with, with the pet food industry that kind of showed that consumers shied away from um, products that said corn gluten meal on the back because they were worried that Fluffy or Fido might have a gluten allergy. So, um, you know, that's something that we've definitely um, are, are trying to to spread the better word about corn and pet food. And, and I do see <clears throat> the, um, the attitude towards corn and pet food starting to become um, a little less hostile. And, and two, we, we also try to focus on growing demand for um, protein and, and animal products and meat products in the in the pet food space because that's just value added corn. It certainly is. And that's what it's all about, keeping that value here, providing it, returning it to American farmers. Uh, Sarah, when will we see that change in the name from corn gluten meal to corn protein meal on packaging? It'll probably take quite a few years. We have to also make sure that we're um, in in conjunction with uh, trade regulations and, and getting that changed for our trade agreements, because actually a lot of pet food is exported um, in the United States as well. And we see that growing internationally, that demand for pet food. So it'll happen slowly over the next couple of years. We have to get the, the packaging switched over and all the um, the companies, they can choose whether or not they want to, to use that alternative naming mechanism. All right. Well, folks, thank you so much for the update. We've been speaking with Sarah McKay, the Director of uh, Market Development at National Corn Growers Association, and Chad Epler, Kansas Farmer uh, Market Access Team board member. Both of you, thanks so much for joining us for this update on corn in pet food. And Chad, stay safe in that combine out there over this next week. Folks, stay tuned. We're going to be checking in with John Holzman, geopolitical strategist, about the ramifications in China when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at what's happening in our commodity trade in the grains and in livestock. We are fairly mixed here, fairly quiet in the grain trade at least. We had lows overnight amid uh, the rising U.S. dollar once again and interest rate concerns. We've come off those lows a little bit here, but still just kind of trading relatively 
uh, quiet, slightly lower, while the livestock trade is mixed here to higher as uh, cattle especially are getting themselves prepared for the cattle on feed report out this afternoon. The average trade estimate for cattle on feed, 99.1%. Placements estimated at 96.2% of last year with marketings at 103.9%. And I know traders are going to be watching that report very closely. If the average estimates come to fruition, it sounds like this could be the report that starts to show a shrinking cattle herd. So that'll be interesting to watch, especially as we get into next week's trade. Overall, though, again, I mentioned that dollar moving higher. That's going to be a headwind for commodities, although the dollar has backed off a little bit. So that could provide commodities with a chance to maybe move higher here. Stock market showing some strength with the dollar backing off as well. If we look at corn, beans, wheat, no uh, sales on the daily export wire Friday morning. Beans saw a good day Thursday, but we're not really following through on that yet. Uh, corn and wheat, we see exports continue to remain pretty dismal for both of those, especially on the corn side. Our bids at the Gulf are at $1.40 premium to Brazil right now, and even more so than Ukrainian bids right now. So, there's just a lot of worries with the low river levels of the Mississippi and what's happening with our export pace. It's something we'll have to watch in this trade. Harvest pressure still in the market. Weather, though, starting to tighten up those harvest windows as we get into next week. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Over the past two years, we have seen global political events fundamentally alter the prices of commodities that farmers see there at the farm gate. So keeping up with what's happening around the world, I think is vital to ag's future here in 2022. And we're still seeing some big global shakeups. This very week was the 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress over there in Beijing. Joining us now to talk about how this Congress could change China looking forward is John Holzman. He's the geopolitical strategist from Milan, Italy, frequent guest on the program host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Mike. Let's talk about this 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress. John, bring us up to speed. How big of a deal is this event for the country of China? It's a gigantic deal because at this, Xi Jinping, who has been leader of China for two presidential terms now, 10 years, is really undoing the system that made him, that was started by Deng Xiaoping, which was a collegial leadership, a collective leadership. This was moving away from now and a uh, Mao and a dictatorship, and it's going back to a one-man kind of rule system because uh, what he's doing is betting himself down for a third five-year term, so he's going to remain president as far as the eye can see. It's undoing that collective leadership and making Xi, as he's known in China, the chairman of everything. John, from agriculture's perspective, that move from, from Deng all the way to Xi has been a period of growth for China in the international world. They've been aggressive buyers of American agricultural products. Is that at risk of changing if they're reverting back to a, a strongman type leadership profile? Mike, I think it is because the thing that's going to get in the way of all this prosperity is foreign policy, as we've talked about before. And whereas Deng Xiaoping's strategy was 
let China grow at eight or nine percent for thirty or forty years, and then from that position of strength, it can it can revisit its outstanding grievances and competition with the United States. Xi is much more a man in a hurry, a man impatient with history, who wants to move as fast and as far as he can, and this is going to lead to increased tensions with the United States in the Indo-Pacific, as we've seen, be the issue of the South China Sea, the East China Sea, COVID, the Uyghurs, India, this plethora of issues, but most of all, Taiwan. Yes, Taiwan is the big issue looking forward. John, we've seen it become a headline issue this past summer. I saw that Xi got lots of applause talking about bringing Taiwan back in line. What's your take? How, how much has this increased the tensions in Southeast Asia? I think exponentially, because the Chinese after Mao, you know, the, the Communist Party retains legitimacy by two basic ideas, capitalism and nationalism. And the Chinese have to have reasonable growth rates, which they've had remarkable growth rates since the days of done. But they also need nationalism. And they mentioned by name the outlying areas of their empire, Xinjiang province in western China, Tibet, Macau, Hong Kong. And last of these pieces of the puzzle is Taiwan, which they see as a renegade province. Taiwan has, in essence, been independent since the 1949 civil war where the nationalist forces retreated to Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan has almost never been under Chinese control, ironically, but it is an article of faith with the Chinese people that this renegade province be reunited. And this last week, Xi has said, come, 19, come 2049, 100 years after we've taken power, Taiwan will again be part of China one way or the other. And that language frightens the horses. It certainly does. Have the horses reacted anyway? I know we've seen some uh, some curbs on exports to China from the U.S. Is there other global action uh, trying to rein in China? Well, there is. I mean, the quadrilateral initiative, as we've talked about, the Quad, which is a mini nascent NATO in the Indo-Pacific, is a grouping that has a military component and is designed to counter Chinese expansionism. And you have in this grouping exactly who you'd want. You have great power India great power Japan, Anglosphere ally Australia, and superpower the United States. So there's that. And then there are a lot of other countries in the area that increasingly side with the United States, be it Vietnam, a longstanding rival of China, the Philippines, which have come back on board to being a much more pro-American country. They've been drifting for a while, but are back on board. Even neutralist Indonesia is doing more with the United States. So Chinese bullying has led to, uh, ironically, to America having a stronger diplomatic position in the region, but there are real fears that they move on this. Tony Blinken, our Secretary of State, said this week that the, the Chinese timetable for retaking Hong uh, Taiwan seems to be increasing, and the head of the Pacific Command said in the next five years are a period of really maximum danger. All right, that is certainly something to keep in mind. What's What's China doing with Russia? Obviously, that geopolitical uncertainty continues to drive the global narrative. Is China leaning on Russia more or vice versa, or are they kind of keeping at arm's length? No, they, they are. But I mean, the basic problem in their alliance has been solved. And we've talked about this, Mike, the Batman problem. The problem with having two nationalist leaders is nobody wants to be Robin. Both of them wanted to be Batman. And this caused problems in the first Cold War when after the death of Stalin, Mao didn't want to be second banana any longer to the China, to the to the Khrushchev and the collective leadership that came to power in the Soviet Union. And so we have a similar problem now that, that Putin didn't want to be second banana to Xi. But now after the terrible situation he's had in Ukraine, there's no doubt any longer that he will be second banana. And because of that, this alliance is going to run a long way. But it will do so from a position of Chinese strength. For instance, Russia has to sell its oil and natural gases. There's increasingly an embargo, as we know, in Europe. And so they're selling it at cut rate prices to India and to China, but on the terms of the Chinese dictate. John, you know, we've talked, you and I have talked on this program, and we've talked with associations who represent agriculture about the exciting growth potential there across Southeast Asia, India, Vietnam, South Korea, Laos, Cambodia, all of those areas are hot. What does a rise of a revanchist China mean for economic growth in that region? 
Well, the thing about the Indo-Pacific and why it's, it's important to the people listening to our show, Mike, is exactly this, that in the Indo-Pacific is where all the future economic growth of the world are. So from an export driven view, this is the goose that lays the golden egg, but it's also where all the world's geopolitical risks are. And that's why my firm, for instance, focuses about 70% of its time now on the Indo-Pacific, all the reward and all the risk. And that's going to be true for our listeners for the foreseeable future, well into the next generation. How can we capitalize on some of that risk? John, I know this is something you track a lot for growers or folks, citizens here in the United States. What can we do to, to make this future more palatable? Basically, I, I agree with Blinken and kind of the U.S. military's assessment that the next five years are critical. If Xi doesn't go to invade Taiwan, and Taiwan is now the Berlin of our new Cold War is an easy way to think about it. If they don't invade in the next five years, it gets harder and harder for them to do so because this new quadrilateral initiative really gets going because the alliance against Chinese expansionism really gets going. So if we can ironically be tougher on the surface over the next five years, organize the region along an anti-Chinese expansionistic line. After that period of time, it's more and more likely the Chinese will not be expansionist, will not go for Taiwan, and then you've really lessened the risk, and then you have all the reward that's in front of you. So paradoxically, being tougher up front now could lead to a far more peaceful future and an incredibly lucrative future with the Indo-Pacific. Well, that always sounds good. Love to hear lucrative future in the cards. But John, we've got some challenges we're dealing with now. Of course, you live in Italy. Europe energy crisis continues. Yeah. What's the current state of affairs there on the ground in Europe? The basic problem is that 20 years of giving their energy policy to the Russians, now they're paying the price for this. And the two countries in Europe that, that, that are in, you know have the most ground to catch up are first Germany, first and foremost Germany, and then it, Italy, which also has a lot of oil and natural gas um, imports from Russia over the last two decades. And what there's going to certainly be at some point, there could well be rationing across Europe. The key moment at the moment, the key question at the moment, do they have individual energy policies or do they try to set a collective price gap? Most of Europe would like them to do this collectively because that would bring Germany on board. Germany, of course, is the biggest offender in not seeing the danger that Putin called for. And so people would like Germany using its economic heft on behalf of not just itself, but Europe, rather than going its own way. And so there's an awful lot of pressure on Germany from France, Spain, Italy, Poland, to have a Europe EU-wide energy cap at some point and to negotiate prices together. The Germans are hesitating, as they tend to do commercially, but in the end, I think they will go along with this EU-wide gap, but it's going to take them time. We couldn't get 27 of us to agree on an ice cream flavor, and they have to get 27 nations to agree on very intricate policy. But they're moving. They're scrambling to catch up and devise an energy policy because the weather is getting colder here. The interesting thing is that about 80% of oil tanks are full in Europe at the moment. It's above the EU average. They've done well scrambling, but in the longer run, into next spring, summer, and certainly next winter, there's nothing to make up the difference in oil and natural gas from Russia. So they'll be scrambling to do more with America, natural gas from America, Norway, the Netherlands, and Qatar. They're going to have to have this, they're going to have to invent a new energy policy on the fly. Boy, lots to watch there in Europe as this moves forward. John, you track all of these issues, you and your firm, uh, relentlessly. For listeners who want to take a little deeper dive, where can they go for your writing and your podcast? Well, I, I think, Mike, you, you explained it well. If you look at our Substack, where you get the Around the World in 20 Minutes update, I think that you can't do better than that. We have a whole bunch of other people writing who have very interesting things to say. And then you can catch up with me and my travels. I'm just actually back from L.A. and Zurich, and I'm off next week to New York. So life is never dull. It isn't indeed, John. We certainly appreciate you taking the time to give us an update on how you see this global environment. Appreciate John Hulsman joining us today. Always fun, Mike. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to talk about a couple of other issues impacting the ag industry. Notably, recession might be coming to rural farm country. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. 
And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a 9-to-5. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you making AOA a part of your day today. Across farm country, every time I talk to folks who are out there in the fields, there's a lot of optimism for sure as harvest rolls in, but there's also a lot of concern, notably because of input prices. We continue to see pressure on that side of the balance sheet as crude oil today is still above $80. West Texas Intermediate trading at $84.33. And there's the perception that things are slowing down. And that perception is reflected not just by farmers, but it's reflected by lenders here across rural America as well. Uh, Creighton University's Rural Main Street Economic Index came out, and it was the fifth straight month of deterioration in that survey. It was below growth neutral for the fifth straight month. A number of different factors have come together to have bank CEOs concerned about the future, notably economic confidence. So the concerns about the slowdown in the broader economy is spilling over into agriculture. It was its lowest level on the Main Street survey since May of 2020 in the depths of the COVID shutdown. Farm equipment sales have dropped for the second time in the past three months. Notably, combine sales were still up, according to the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, up about 16%. But tractor sales are starting to slow down. On average, this is according to the report, bank CEOs expect 2022 Christmas and holiday buying to grow by less than a percent, 0.08% from last year, and almost a quarter of bankers report that their local economy is currently in recession. That was just about 23% of bankers came out and said that they believe their local environments are already experiencing recession, and that's got them concerned a little bit about the future. They do anticipate uh, 2022 farm equity to be 3.4% above the 2021 level. So that is good news for those lenders out there looking to find assets to, uh, to lend against on some of this high-priced farm ground. But it is down from the USDA's estimate. They had it at a 4.2% increase in equity, and it doesn't sound like we're quite going to get that far, largely due to the erosion that has happened on the, the purchasing side of the balance sheet. Taking a look at issues impacting agriculture, another ongoing issue. It's impacting both ag on the feed demand side and it's impacting consumers as the price of eggs and poultry have been incredibly volatile over this past year. That's because the industry poultry is still grappling with a massive high path avian influenza infection. And it's not just happening in North America. Of course, we've talked a lot on this program with experts in the poultry industry about the ongoing HPAI case here in the US. An update as of now, uh, we've had uh, 41 HPAI outbreaks in 41 different states here in the US. 47 million birds have been culled already. In Canada, 17 outbreaks have happened in poultry farms, mainly across Manitoba with about 300,000 birds cold and importantly europe at, right now in the moment of its worst outbreak of avian influenza in history to date 48 million birds have been culled in europe and the latest country to report hpai infection that has resulted in a a culling was the netherlands 300,000 heads uh, hens rather were destroyed in an outbreak and again that is the largest culling in Dutch history. So far, 6 million birds and 98 different outbreaks have been culled over the past 12 months just there in the Netherlands. This is a huge impact. It is driving prices for eggs in a crazy fashion. We have seen that contribute a lot to food inflation over this past year. And when we're thinking about supply, of course, poultry hit by HPAI, the pork industry has been seeing declining breeding numbers for some time. And earlier this week, the USDA uh, came out with a report on Tuesday from the ERS, the Livestock, Dairy, and Poultry Outlook. And they, the, the folks at USDA, dug into these numbers a little bit. And they, they looked at the reduction in September. That was the ninth consecutive quarterly decline in breeding stock. And they think that uh, producer reluctance to expand production and to expand that capacity on farms may be a collective response to perceived uncertainty about the U.S. and world economies and, importantly, 
to the potential implementation of state laws in California that would impact most U.S. hog production models. We've talked about this Proposition 12 case. The oral arguments went before the Supreme Court earlier this month. We'll have a decision on whether or not California's Proposition 12, the law that requires a fixed number of pen space for breeding stock in the, in the swine industry, We'll see whether or not that law is allowed to stand as we get into the early part of 2023 uh, when the U.S. Or excuse me, when the Supreme Court releases their uh, their next batch of information. That'll be coming out of Washington, D.C., a place where U.S. senators are going to bat for ethanol. Uh, did see a letter earlier this week from several U.S. senators, predominantly farm state senators. They got together to encourage EPA Secretary Michael Regan to establish, quote, robust and expanded biofuel mandates. Uh, these were both uh, bipartisan senators that signed off on this letter. Uh, we had farm group members from across the country get together, and they said this is the time, quote, we agree with you that biofuels are ready to meet the moment and serve as a key element of American energy security, economic opportunity, and climate response, is what the senators wrote in addressing this letter to the EPA. Of course, this matters because we will be getting the EPA renewable volume obligations, the requirements for blending, by November 16th. They have said they will publish those 2023 requirements, something the industry will be watching very, very closely. As of right now, it's expected that we'd see 15 billion gallon requirement of conventional uh, corn-based ethanol, and then likely a growing advanced biofuel component that's going to increase, you know, try to account for those increased production of fuels like SAF, sustainable aviation fluid, that renewable diesel uh, that has gotten very hot over the past year. Those all categories will be in the advanced biofuel volumes. And these farm state senators said they would like to see the EPA raise the RFS for both advanced biofuels, which is likely coming regardless, and importantly for corn-based ethanol. Let's take that cap above 15 billion gallons. Let's utilize the cost savings that can be generated from ethanol produced right here in the United States. We'll see if this has any traction with Michael Regan as the EPA gets close to that dropping of those RVO numbers in mid-November. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. We'll be back next time talking markets, talking weather right here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved.